Father in heaven, I thank you so much for this Sabbath day, this chance for us to gather here in this place. Lord, thank you for the blessings that we have known already in this day. Now, Lord, speak. May we hear your voice through the stories of when Patty has heard your voice in her life. We thank you for her ministry, and we pray your blessing on this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to begin with a text, and this is a text that back at the beginning of this series I read to you. It's from Isaiah chapter 30, and we'll begin in verse 20. It says, Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more. With your own eyes you will see them. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. So the notion of this whole series was that the Lord is speaking to us, and if we will listen to hear His voice, He will guide us, He will lead us, we will know which way to go. And we've asked Pastor Patty to come today and share some of her experience in her life of hearing God's voice and leading, because at the end of this month, Pastor Patty will wrap up 21 years of service to this church as a pastor, faithfully serving through that whole time, through all the changes, through all the people, playing the part that God called her to to play. And I wanted you to hear from her before she's gone. Oh, she's here every service. She's been to more church services than anybody in this place over those 21 years because she's usually sitting right up there, not just for one service, but for all three every Sabbath. But I wanted her to get down here and say a few words to you and for you to hear. So, So, Patty, here we go. You've done good twice. We got one more. Are you ready? I know, but I'm looking out there and I'm seeing people that I know. I'm looking Danielle right there and Patricia. All right. You've already got your hand on the the, uh, Kleenex, so she's ready to go. So, let's go back to when you were young. What were your interests? What did you like and who did you think you were going to grow up to be? I loved music. I grew up in a family where my father wasn't an Adventist, but he loved to hear his children sing. And so Friday nights, even though it was our Sabbath, it wasn't his, but it was a good chance for him to get out his guitar. I loved singing with my sisters and my brother. I loved it. Um, And I loved making things. Um, I loved one thing I made, and I didn't say this to the other two, is when I was dating this guy that... I wood burned him a poem on a piece of barn wood in, a, in script. And I remember my mom, he was so proud and he showed it to my mother. I was pretty proud too, actually. And my mom's comment was, she goofs off really well. Mm-hmm. So those things that I loved were hobbies and weren't seen as very important. So when I went to college, I Uh, when I was younger, I thought, I'm going to be married, I will have children, and I will be a nurse. That was my plan. Even though in college I didn't take one nursing course, sorry, Daniel. I took anatomy and physiology, but that's that's what my plans were. Okay, so you're going to be a nurse, you're going to be married, you're going to have children, you got the whole thing planned out. Right. So far, the only thing not going so well is actually taking the classes. So, yeah, that was a part of it. 
But in that process, what happened? So you're in college. What did you get involved with? What part of college did you love? The part of college I loved was um, I was involved with um, Collegiate Action for Christ. And I don't know how many were. I know there are some here that were in Andrews in the 67, 68, 69 years. But I traveled with Collegiate Action for Christ. Interesting, we put on a week of prayer in Miami, and our bus broke down in Orlando, and I said, oh, God, don't ever send me there. <laughs> Please, I will never live there. So our bus, but I sang with Collegiate Actor for Christ, and I also was a part of a quartet called Just Us. It was um, Debbie Updike, who was my roommate after my sister Susan, and Patricia White. I don't know if any of you have heard of her, and Gail Warman Hall. We traveled and sang. It was wonderful. I loved it. Classes, not so much. Not I didn't so much. Like, no, I All didn't right. Like so, so you're singing, you're traveling, but you're part of a group, and this is now your junior year, and something's beginning to occur to you that you can't just go to college forever. Let that be a note to some of you out there. So what happened? Tuesday nights were our night with Collegiate Action for Christ to meet in the boys' dorm and pray and talk. Thursday night was practice night. Tuesday night we were there. They said, do any of you have any special requests? I never asked for prayer, never, ever, never. But I just blurted out, it's my junior year and I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. And they prayed for that. They prayed that I would know what to do for, with my life. Okay, so, so they prayed, you weren't sure. What'd you do next? Next day, I went to Betty Webb's office. She was the placement officer at Andrews. And I said, Mrs. Webb, I am willing to do anything, anything. If there's a job available, just anything. And she said, Patty, there'll be nothing. It's February or, you know, there's nothing available. She said, but I'll put your name right here. And she did. She wrote my name down. And then I decided that I needed to start attending my classes. Going to class. <laughs> yes, it's yeah. important. So. Are they like every day? You know, yeah, one o'clock. Turns, right turns after out lunch. every day, yeah. So. Tuesday we prayed, Wednesday I went to see Mrs. Webb, Thursday I'm going to foods class at one o'clock in the afternoon, and Patty Hofer, please come to the West Lobby. And as I'm cutting across the little hallway there, I'm thinking, do I go to class, do I go to the lobby? And I chose to go to the lobby. And down there in the lobby was this man I had never seen before. Obviously, he was there to see me, and it was Mr. Ken Hutchins, who was the educational superintendent in Michigan at the time. And he introduced himself, and then he said, our teacher in Holland, Michigan, left. Will you come finish the school year? Now, what do you say, really? And I, I didn't. I knew. And I told him yes, right there, right then and there. And I, I said, when do you need me? And he said, not this Sunday. Now remember, this is Thursday, not this Sunday, but we need you up there a week from Monday. So I had to leave my wonderful people. I wanted Mrs. Webb to find me a job washing dishes at Barry and General so I could still stay at Andrews and sing and travel and stuff. But no, I was going to teach at Holland, Michigan. So you got up all your stuff, 
which wasn't much. You went up there, and what time of year is it? Winter. Winter. And you had a really nice car. I had a Kawasaki 125 dirt bike. That's all. That's all I had with knobby tires. They don't go fast. And it was winter. Women were expected to wear dresses to work. So I got my dress on. I pulled my jeans up. I wore my winter coat. I had gloves on my hand, helmet on my head, my lunch back here, my purse on the handle, and off I'd go to school. So we've asked Patty to recreate that for us. So if you can bring the motorcycle in now. No, that's not true. We, we would love for her to do that, but she refused. I was good. Yeah. All right. So, so you're going to school, but it's a, it's, a, it's a lively and creative environment where they're stimulating things for a college student, right? Oh, you guys, it was like I'd been... It was a two-teacher school. It was a two-teacher school 45 miles from where I, all of my friends were. No singing, no nothing. I went and it was empty. I had to clean out this dreadful closet to get some sense out of it. And I taught grades one to four. And I, I was there. I had in my apartment, which was on the top of this nice Dutch couple's home, a bean bag that I had made, a bedroom suit, and a black and white TV. But there was no cable. So it was channel three, six, and nine that I got. And I'd go to bed at five o'clock in the afternoon because there was nothing to do. <laughs> <laughs> so because you had such a great time, what did you decide to do at the end of the year? I quit. I quit. And, and what I, did you do the next year? I taught at Holland, Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> so how did that happen? Well, back then, and some of you will remember, Pastor Ellis, you'll remember that when you taught for the denomination, which by the way, I hadn't graduated yet, and I'd had no education classes, they would pay a certain amount off of your college debt. Remember that? And so they kept dangling that in front of me, and I said, why not? So I taught another year. And, and then I quit. And before I had a chance to get my stuff out of the room, one day outside my door was this old green vega put together with duct tape. And in walks this man to find the other teacher in the school. He wanted to talk to him. I didn't know anything about the politics or all this of the denomination. And he was there to in, um, interview the other teacher, but he talked to me on the way through. And that evening, I got a call from Elder Gene Haas, remember him? And he asked me to come and teach in Massachusetts. And you've been there a lot, right? I'd never been there. I thought, oh, I'll go to Massachusetts. I've never been there. My father did not speak to me for six months after I moved there with my beanbag chair and my black and white TV and my... How long were you going to stay there? Um, I, was, I quit after that first year. Quit after the first year? I did. And how long did you end up staying? I was there six years. Six years. So... <laughs> Not very good at quitting, as no, it turns out. No. So what but happened I did get my school loan paid for entirely. There you go. So what happened after the six years in Massachusetts? Well, by then, I really loved teaching. I really, really did. I had some really good experiences. Your relative, Bill Stebbins, mm -hmm. remember Bill, was the principal there, and I absolutely loved working for him. But I got a call to come here to Fleece. And when I started at Fleece, 
There was no gymnasium. We had a slab. There was no playground. It was a round, empty building with no walls inside. And I was there for 19, almost 19 years. 19 years. Yeah. Wow. A lot of my students, Jason Lassell, where are you? So, so let's do this. How many of you were students of Patty when you were here? Anybody? See, there's one. And you see Tim those Reiner. hands? Yeah. Look at those hands. All right. Okay. There, were several, there were some at first service as well. To be invested in a community like that. So here's how it works. If you're interested in hearing the voice of God, here's how it works. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice over the dorm PA saying, do not go to class, go to the West Lobby right now because your life is waiting for you there. It's one thing to hear the voice of God. It's another thing to obey. And if you keep hearing, even if you try to quit, He'll keep you where you need to be yes. until you're done there. So, all right, so, so we talked a little bit about hearing the voice of God when it's clear that we heard God's voice. But, and, and hearing and obeying is hard enough, but Patty, is it your experience that it's possible to obey God's voice even when you don't actually realize you're hearing his voice? You have any example of that? I do. Um, my dad loved his children deeply. and. Beginning of 1980, I think it was, every spring he would call and say, Patty, would you go to Alaska with your mom and I? And I'd say, oh, no. No, I've got classes. I've got to take classes to get re-whatever it is, re-that. That, yeah. And, or, or I've got, oh, I can't do it this year. I can't do it that year. No, I can't. And I never felt guilty about telling him no. I just thought, I don't want to eat up five weeks in a camper with my mom and dad driving 14,000 miles to Alaska, you know. So I always said no until 1986. Whatever. My dad called, and I don't know if you have ever experienced where your mouth is saying something your mind is not ready yet to process, but he said, Patty, will you go to Alaska with your mom and I? And out my mouth, it, I said yes. Oh my goodness, that spring he had a blast. He would call me and say, I just added a new towel rack. I just did this, I just did that. He was so excited planning that trip. So you drew a line though, he had to meet a certain oh, expectation. I did, right? I said, you know what, I'm glad, I'll go, but you've got to find me a bathroom with electricity every night, and I want a hot shower. Uh -huh. And he bought a generator, and it's, he did. And the first night I tried to use it with my blow dryer, it didn't have enough oomph. And, and this is the 80s, so not having a blow dryer is a real problem. I know. And imagine starting a generator in the middle of the Yukon, really. <laughs> All right, so, so you said yes. You went on this trip. You're in this camper, right? Yes. With your mom and dad. Yes. 14,000 miles round trip. What did you learn from this experience? Um, my father had a big king cab on his pickup truck. He had a, and in the back he had put a mattress behind the, the the captain's seats in the front. And I sat in the middle between those two seats, behind the front seats, and I listened for fourteen thousand miles to stories about my father, about his parents, about all of the things that he that I'd never heard before. 
when he was in the World War II. Um, stories that made me proud, stories that made me marvel at my dad, you know, that he, that he was, he was that accomplished coming from so little. That is one thing I learned, and it was a huge something. The other thing I learned was because some of you are from families where you believe one way and your spouse believes another, or your mom believed one way and your dad believed another, and so you tend to go to the one that is most believes the way you do, and that's what we did as children. I never asked my dad if I could do anything. I always went to my mom. Mom would ask dad, and I'd get the answer that way. I don't know why. I think I was afraid of him, afraid, of, you know, because he was, he had, you know, he didn't understand. Uh, so on that trip, I remember as we're going into Calgary, Dad and I were laying, looking out the, the window over the cab, just laying there watching the scenery. And honestly, in my mind, I thought, I'm going to test my dad. And I, and I thought, I'm going to, I've always wanted a dad I could go to and ask for counsel, for advice, you know? So I said, Dad, there's something going on, you know, at school, and I'd like your opinion and your advice on what to do. And honestly, it was the sweetest conversation, Jeff. He was so kind and so wise and so calm. And I couldn't believe this stranger next to me because I'd never done that before. But I'd never given him a chance. I had never given him a chance to be that kind of father that he always was. So those two things were huge to me from that trip into Alaska. So you found yourself saying yes. I You're did. on the trip. I you, you have this encounter with your dad that binds your heart to him in ways you've never known before. Yeah. You think this is the big reason for the whole thing, but what would you find out next? There would never be another summer. There would never be another phone call saying, will you go to Alaska? My father came home, was diagnosed with lung cancer, and we buried him the next summer. So God knew, though I didn't, and I was perfectly satisfied with the two things I'd already learned, that I could not have lived with myself and the regret I would have had had I said no to him. I am so at peace because I got to spend 4,000 miles in five weeks with my dad. So there you go. So I have to say to you in light of that story, has the Lord ever asked you to do something that didn't necessarily make sense right now? If he has, please do it. Because you may find out within a year why it's so important. And this is one of the amazing things is that we can hear God's voice even when we don't completely understand what he's telling us or, or why we're saying yes. But if we trust, can we trust him enough? Or does everything he calls us to do have to make sense to us first? It might not have made sense, but when it was over, it made sense. Oh, it sure did. All right, so, so there's hearing God's voice and obeying when it seems uh, kind of strange. Uh, 
you've prayed about it, but now you hear his voice and you need to obey now. There's, there's obeying God's voice even when you're not even clear why he's telling you. But have you ever been in a situation where you're pretty sure you're hearing God's voice, but you couldn't believe he could be saying something like that to you? Did that ever happen? Right here in this church. So tell us about that time. I will. Um, as I said, I've been a member here for 39 years. And I used to come in this building angry and leave angry. Part of it, the reason that I did, is not because of the people, not at all, but because I didn't understand the messages. I knew Jesus' name, I knew that he answered prayers, I knew that he had, but I didn't understand. And so I would come expecting to hear nothing and I left hearing nothing. So we were getting a new pastor and that had nothing to do with the pastor, trust me, it had everything to do with me. And so we were getting a new pastor and I thought, I'll just go and see what he's like. You know, you have to check him out. <laughs> and so I came and I sat back there in the back row where you are, Rich Reiner. <laughs> and I listened. I liked it. I was skeptical. And I went out the door and I shook his hand and I said, that was a good sermon. I said, we'll see how long they last. Please don't think I'm cheeky. That was a little no, bit. No, she, she hasn't changed at all. She's still. And then I said, and by the way, there was a good song that could have gone with that message. And he looked and he said, I want to talk to you. And I thought, yeah, right. And the next week I was in his office with Lois Northcutt and some other people. And that was the beginning of starting to be using my parts of me that likes to make things and stuff, Pat. So that piece that had lay, lay there oh, dormant for yes. a while, except you used it in school all the time. I loved making bulletin boards. And you developed it there, but that piece, mm -hmm. suddenly the Lord was moving it back. And he woke it up in me. It wasn't terribly long after that till I was invited to come on staff here. Now, you have to understand that one day, while I was teaching over at Fleece, Faye, uh, Faye, Lamba, Faye um, Rose was the fourth grade teacher across the hall, and she had just been asked to be a chaplain for Florida Hospital. And I said, you know, Faye, I don't know what it's gonna be, but God is getting me ready to do something, and I don't think I'm gonna finish out my career teaching. Now, I loved teaching. Several of the students that I taught and I adored are sitting in this room right now. And um, so when I was asked to come on staff, you would think I would say yes, right? Would think, right. I would yeah. think. I would think I would say yes, but I said no. Uh-uh, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna leave teaching a job that I know I love, children that I love, in a job I know what I'm gonna get paid, I know what I'm doing, come on staff and do that. Who has this kind of job? And all I could think of was, sure, right, I'm gonna quit my job, I'm gonna do this for a little while, then they're gonna see no need for this, I'm gonna not be able to get back to teach at Fleece, and I'm gonna be a mess. I'll keep volunteering, no thank you. 
So they came and asked again, and what did you say? I said no. So then what happened? I realized that God, that voice in me, that deep, deep thing saying, I'm getting you ready for something else. And I said, oh God, I am so sorry. I knew, I know you've been preparing me, and if they ask me again, I will accept. And they asked me again. And how long ago was that? 21 years. 21 years. Yeah. So she came here and joined the staff in the days of Terry Pooler. He was the one that reached out to her. He was the one that, that when she said what she said at the door, instead of being offended, said, I think I want this person brought her on this team and her involvement here turned his time here into an amazing ministry in this place. Now, he had his gifts and his talents, but Patty came and created a space and a place and a context in which his ministry thrived in this place. Then he would move on and another guy would come here, maybe you've heard of him, Pastor Derek Morris, would come here well known in certain circles, particularly in education circles, but he would come here and because of the work that Patty had done to create the AV reality in this place, would leverage the skills that he brought to this place to transform him from, from this person known in a small circle to a voice that went completely around this world. And on this very stage right here, thanks to the work that this uh, didn't love school necessarily, well, love school, just not classes, Ended up being a teacher. They kind of do that to you when you don't like school. You teach, I guess. <laughs> became a teacher all those years. Brought over here and became a person who created a context where now Pastor Derek is a voice heard around the world regularly. And uh, because of what the Lord had blessed him with and what the Lord blessed Pastor Patty with, it all came together. This is what happens when we listen to God's voice, even when what He is calling us to seems crazy to us. Now, Patty's done her best with me. Oh, and he is so hard. Yeah, she's done her best <laughs> to try to bring me along, but uh, she's gotten me as far as she can, so pray for her. Thank, I finally wore her out, and she has decided that she has to retire now. But I guess you can't stay 21 years and not finally get to retire. But back. so, what's that? I'll be back. You'll be back. So, so here's how it goes. There's the life you were thinking you would live. And then there's the life that the Lord leads you to. So talk a little bit about the difference between being the clay and being the potter. Jeff has hit on every single point in my soul that is special to me and very private. Um, I love making pottery. There is nothing to me more enjoyable than spending hours in front of a wheel throwing pots. And, um, you know, we always hear about the potter. And, and the potter is, but you know what? There's the part of that verse that talks about us being the clay. And if you've ever worked with clay, have any of you ever worked with clay? You have and you have. Okay, so you know that clay has a mind of its own, right? And a potter, um, the potter has to be very gentle but very strong at the same time. You'll see the potter 
constantly pouring water over the clay so that there's no um, rub on the potter's hands, so that the clay, and they wedge it to get the bubbles and all of that stuff out. But sometimes the clay fights the potter. And I've been, I've fought the potter. I've eventually submitted and been submissive. But um, the interesting thing about clay is that as you pull it up and you're making your vessel, sometimes you'll feel that bubble that's left in the clay that you didn't quite wedge out or you'll feel it in there. But you know what? The potter has in mind what they're going to make. And it will, the potter can slice that piece off while the wheel is still moving. You never cut clay while it's standing still. The, the clay is still moving. And you slice it off and you wet it down and you pack it down and you still have a beautiful vessel. But I have definitely been the clay with the bubbles. I have not been perfect. I have made some dreadful choices. But the potter has been very, very, very gracious and very patient with me. And um, thank you for asking about that part. So, so Patty is the one who's chosen graphics for us for so many years. And, and this is the one she chose for today and this idea of my unlikely journey to the center of God's will. It wasn't what you laid out at all, but talk to us about this graphic and what it means to you. That road, you know it's going past where you can see. But it looks, you know, you know it's there. It's lit just enough. It's been a lonely journey sometimes. Because if you, and, and I know that there are some of you shaking and you're nodding your head. If you follow God's will, it's not really something you want to discuss and get anybody else's opinion on. Because if you do, it may be snatched out of your hands. And so your journey can be lonely. And that's what I see. It's a lonely journey, but there is light. And it is, I've been stubborn. I've been impatient. But this perfectly depicts the journey, and I would do it all over again. We would never choose anything other than God leads us if we knew the end from the beginning. And that's my story. That's what this says to me. So Mark chapter 8, verse 34, we read these words. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. So, Patty, you had a life that you thought would be, and there was a part of you that wanted to fight to hang on to that. That was the the get married, have kids, be a nurse. But you lost that life. I did. But what did you gain? Um, I can't let this day go without just appreciating this wonderful AV team of friends that I have, Jeff. You don't see them. They are so faithful. They are so here all the time. Many of them have worked with me almost the full 21 years, and they just do it over and over again. One, that's one thing. The other thing is, is I've learned that, and women, and men, 
You know, I don't know in our lifetime if women will ever be ordained. I don't know. I can't begin to explain it. But I know, I know that I was called, I know I was chosen, and I know I'm ordained by the God of the universe. Amen. Amen. And no one can take that away from me. Amen. No one could even try to create a program, a special day where I was ordained by man that could snatch that out of me. So it doesn't get better. And the life you lost, if you'd hung on to that, where would your soul be today? I'd be stuck. I'd be stuck. I would have missed out on so much, so much fulfillment. I don't know of another person that has been lucky enough or blessed enough to get to do a job that they love as much as what I've been able to do. We're going to let her sing now. <laughs> Sleep. 
blessed me with more than I deserve. Mercy and love at every turn, all that you give flows out of who you are. And I thank you, Lord, from the bottom of my heart. I'm amazed at all you've done for me. Who am I that you So, Patty, I hear the Lord saying to you, (laughs) well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you for all you've done. You have blessed this congregation more times than they even know. But here's how we're going to end it this time. Read them their blessing. I will, but before I do... I just want to encourage you. These were my stories, but you have the same stories. You have stories in your life. So I would encourage you to spend some sleepless nights as I have the last week preparing for this, not remembering the mistakes, but remembering the blessings that God has given you and reminding you of where he has led you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.